Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. And we're back. This is Tristan. My pronouns are they, them. And Lauren is um, taking a break from the podcast on this episode so she can take care of herself. So I'm here with Kelly Nicole Palmer. Um, Kelly, I'm going to just hand it off to you. If you could share your name, your pronouns, your social location, your astrology, it's a big ask for an intro, but go for it. (laughs) Um, So my name is Kelly Nicole Palmer. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I also just like for people to use my name if you're talking to me or about me um social location so I'm a black person um I identify as a cisgendered woman um I also identify as a queer person um I don't hold it as an identity but I think it's important to know because it informs how I move in the world I'm parenting to people under the age of 10 um and I was born and raised in the American South um, by um, Black people who are from the state of Georgia um, and from the state of Ohio. Most of my family um, has been in the United States since at least the 1800s um, through enslavement. And also, I know for myself on both sides of my family that enslavement had ended um, like within my family about 60 years before the end of enslavement in the U.S. And so... I hold all of those things as um, important parts of who I am as a Black person. Currently, I am living in um, on Lenape land, um, colonially known as Jersey City, outside of New York City. Mm, thank you, Kelly. But I was born and raised on Catawba and Sugary land um, in what is known as Charlotte, North Carolina. And astrology placements. I am a Capricorn mm. um, with a Virgo rising. Mm. So it's safe to say I like things the way that I like them, and I can be a bit forceful about the way I would like for things to be. Um, I can be very organized or very disheveled to other people, but even my mess is organized to me. I know where everything is, and um, I also like to make, so um, I'm always making things. Um, Some things I share with the world, some things I don't share with anybody. Mm -hmm. 
I like to say though, I'm an evolved Capricorn because I'm not a workaholic anymore. I used to be, but um, I live with two Sagittarius people and a Pisces and they, the three of them will teach you about what your plans actually mean, which is Mm. nothing. (laughs) So I don't work a lot anymore. I love that an evolved Capricorn. And I want to hear more about, I want to, I would like to ask you to share a bit about your, your quote story. I know it's a big question. Mm -hmm. However you want to answer it is great, but I, I particularly am curious to hear about going from workaholism to not workaholism and, and how, yeah, how you've landed where you are. And also for folks who don't know you, what you do currently in the world. Yeah. Um, so I hold the titles of creative and space holder. Um, and that can look like a lot of different things. Um, most people might be more familiar with me working in race and equity within like yoga and wellness spaces. It's work that I've done for a while and that has been, I guess what people call would call successful um, in terms of like, I can pay my bills from it. Um, but more importantly for me, I am part of the Sanctuary in the City, which is a black led and queer led nonprofit based in Charlotte, North Carolina that focuses on equitable healing spaces for Black people. Um, And I guess I'll say that my ability to work a lot um, was very much tied to the story of what made me valuable. And about three, almost four years ago, I um, decided to take the contents of my life and dump them out on the ground so that I could decide what to keep and what to release. And part of that process was coming out as a not straight person, as a queer person. I've always known I was a queer person, but you know, being raised in the American South as a black person in um, very Christian environments, it was very clear to me at a young age that I already am a black person. I'm already a woman, like this is just something else. And for a lot of different reasons. Um, my desire to belong was much stronger than my desire to be my whole self. Mm. And I think that about three and a half years ago, when I decided to leave a very unhealthy 15 year relationship and come out to my parents and family at the same time, I had to sit with all of the things that I had upheld as important to me and recognize which of them was really important to me and which was based in being valued and belonging. And unfortunately, most of it was based in belonging, right? Um, Based in the story that as an AFAB person, I'm supposed to be attracted to amen people and that I should curtail how I look, how I speak, how I move, how I dress, how I work to be appealing or attractive to them. And I don't really, we have a limited amount of time. So what I wanna articulate is once I was able to sit with those stories and really connect to the inherent truth that I'm valuable because I exist, but my existence expands and becomes much more valuable for me if I'm my whole self 
it was easy for me to say, I don't want to work all the time because that's not actually how I want to spend my time. It's what I thought made me valuable to other people. And the way that that has manifested as ongoing harm in the form of domestic violence, loss of families and relationships, alienation from community, I would never do that to myself again in any way. And so I'm not willing to put belonging or perceived value before my wholeness, which means I can't work all the time. I won't work all the time. Thank you. I wanna honor like whatever's coming up. Um, it's, it's coming up for me too. <laughs> Um, so much of what you shared resonates for me, like the the messages I received that my value and that my ability to experience belonging and acceptance and community and love was tied to who I am in terms of my gender and sexuality. Like it's yeah. so fucked up. Um, yeah. And I'm, and I experienced that through the lens of my own white privilege. Um, and I, I can only imagine that your lens as a black woman especially in the South, um, is, is very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I you know, I'm crying because it, it's tender. I'm still, yeah. uh, grieving what feels like many lost years. Yeah. And also, you know, continued consequences of choices made. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm super grateful for the health and thriving of the people I'm parenting. It doesn't feel good though to have to parent with someone that you don't trust and that um, is going to insidiously be homophobic and transphobic towards you and your family and your partner. Like that doesn't feel good. And um, you know, I'm in therapy like a lot of people are <sighs> working through guilt and shame I feel about choices that I made and how they still impact my ability to exist now yeah if that makes sense yeah like I um it's a it's a lot of heavy lifting to do but also it's part of the being with your whole self and as I just said I'm committed to that more than anything uh being the fullest wholest version of myself mm -hmm. um feels like the only one the only yeah. real one yeah. yeah particularly in a world that is asking all the time for you to be less your wholeness you yeah. know what I'm saying like yeah there's probably people who feel uncomfortable with us crying right now and it's sure. like I don't fault them they live in a world that says like don't make other people uncomfortable with your emotions and I navigated that for many years but most people who know me know if we start to talk about real stuff I'm gonna cry because I either feel super sad or I feel super grateful about it. I'm, you know, I don't, yeah. if I'm, I don't, I don't remember what actress said it, but like, if I'm more than a four or less than it's like, I'm going to be crying. This <laughs> is just a small window where I'm not going to cry about it, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Can you tell me Kelly about waking up to workaholism and, and what that was like for you and how you've, I'm How still waking you? up to it, Tristan. I'm yeah. still waking up to it. And really, honestly, uh, it's this pandemic. Mm. It's the pandemic because 
I'm a person who, you know, I've worked in yoga and wellness for about eight years now, nine years um, before that. And while I was doing that, I owned a hair salon. I was a hairstylist for 15 years. I retired in 2018 from that. And, you know, I was used to like, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning was my usual wake up time. I still wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I just stay in the bed till probably like eight or nine, but, or 11. Tomorrow I'm probably staying in the bed till 11 because it'll be a Friday tomorrow for me. But I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I would do all the things that I needed to do before my children got up, which happens at 6.30. My youngest mm-hmm. wakes up at 6.30 in the morning. It doesn't matter what time they went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I would try to multitask all day. Um, cooking food, keeping a house clean, tending children, sometimes seeing clients in person at the salon or for coaching, plus teaching, plus community stuff. And I just was really used to being tired. And I thank my partner, my current partner a lot, uh, Nico, because they are different. They appreciate getting rest. They don't play around about going to bed. They don't get up until they're ready and they just encouraged me to reconsider why I was pushed so hard all the time and what would actually happen if I don't answer the email the same day or the same week even and I think that I don't think I know the more that we practice taking up space for ourselves the easier it becomes and so I have a million different things that I've done um, the one I always share with people and I'll share here is like, I keep a written calendar. I prefer it over a Google calendar. I think that Google calendars are great in terms of working with people all over the world to make sure that everyone's dates are synced up and also writing out my schedule for me puts me in a seat of control that I as a Capricorn with a rising Virgo really need. And also I use multiple colors, purple and greens are for things I want to do. Mm. Orange and red are for things I need to do to be able to generate resources. I like all of these colors, but purple makes me feel a lot of ease. And so before I will write anything orange or red in my calendar, purple goes first where I schedule hula hooping, resting, collaging time. I have a new hobby, hand embroidery. So hand embroidery time. and starting with that is how I finally got to only working Tuesday through Thursday. And it is what prevents me from over scheduling myself during the day. I was like so mortified two Mondays ago because I had four Zoom meetings and I was like, this is wow, this is too many things. I yeah. want to try to keep it to one or two because being in front of the computer is too much all day long. And there are other things I'd rather be doing. Just, just be honest. There are other things I would rather be doing. And um, I think knowing that I can prioritize that and still have what I need is an ongoing practice. Yeah. I've heard you say that um, prior to 2020, when people didn't want to hear the words white supremacy in general. And when you said them out loud, nobody listened. It was kind of how I heard you sharing that experience. So I, of course, am not the only person saying it. There are lots of us saying it. And no one was listening to any of us. 
and it also always felt like we were just yelling at each other not like violently yelling at each other but we were all the time just talking to one another about it and of course there were some places or studios who might have been open to the conversation but prior to 2020 I was not paying my bills talking about race and equity in many ways I think it was keeping me from being invited into spaces because they're like you know if you ask her to come in here she's gonna start talking all that rah-rah and I think that's still true I think there are that was tons my next of opportunities question. that aren't presented to me because they already know can I say curse words on yep you sure can I mean there's a curse word in the title so that yeah it's like they know I'm not here for the bullshit yeah I'm not about to sit around and kumbaya with y'all and pontificate about possibilities I want to know what the actions are in this moment right now for some equity and you know if that makes me an unpopular guest oh well I don't really care I'm not in the commitment to my own wholeness, I want to have whole conversations, not beat around the bush conversations. And yeah, there were plenty of contracts that were presented for 2020 and those events were canceled where they were explicitly stating that I could not say racism, I could not say white supremacy. And the reality is it would be great to be so principled that I don't worry about how I'm going to eat or where I'm going to live, but I don't live in that reality. I, I like shelter and deserve shelter. I like food and I deserve food. And I, you know what I mean? There are things that I need to exist as a human, just like everybody else. And so there are definitely opportunities into this current moment that do not align necessarily with my vision of liberation. And also I can't work on that vision if I'm hungry or cold. And so, yeah. They, I mean, the conversation is definitely more forward, but you know, I don't feel bad about being honest and saying I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the conversation. I am tired of yoga and wellness spaces, actually. I'm still working in them. I still believe in the practice. I still uphold the practice for myself and in my family. We uphold the practice that's way more expensive than just the physical postures, yeah. but I'm tired. I'm tired of the people who hold power still grasping to their power. Nothing has changed about that. Yeah. The, the same entities and individuals who are most powerful in this industry are still the most powerful in this industry. They have not and have no desire as far as I'm concerned to hand over that power. I don't care how many summits, panels, statements, banners they put on their website. They're not really here for it because if they were, it would be different. Yeah. And so I'm continually holding the question, uh, what's the best use of my energy? And I'm getting clearer and clearer about what that is. And it's not sitting around pretending to have a conversation about changes that the people in power have no intention of upholding. So when you currently, because I know, you know, over the last few years, you've done a lot of work on, as you said, race equity and yoga spaces, when you hold those conversations, I imagine you're getting a blend of people at different points in learning and understanding and unlearning. Um, Can you tell me some of the patterns you've witnessed or some of the, like, maybe this is, I'm asking, like, what are you celebrating from those experiences? (laughs) Um, I mean, 
one of the things I am celebrating is that I've really gotten to connect with some really amazing folks, yourself included, who see the problem and in the ways that they see possible are trying. And people trying is always a hopeful thing, you know, in trainings of people have taken one with me before. I say all the time, like, we're talking about a change that will be evident in 20 to 30 generations if we as humans still exist at that point. But <laughs> I have met some really amazing folks um, from all kinds of backgrounds. And I think too, you know, when I'm holding that space, I wanna take the most care of the folks who sit the furthest from what is deemed dominant culture, right? Black folks, people of color, fat folks, older folks, queer folks, <clears throat> folks, you know, living with disabilities. I, I wanna take the most care of them. And I think, or it's my experience that we are often navigating dominant culture spaces and are very well equipped with how to exist in those spaces how to take care of ourselves, right? Because we have to, we don't have a choice about it. Yeah. And what's felt really great for me is that the way the spaces are curated, the people who are in those spaces, like other black folks, they feel well taken care of and they have an opportunity to have a conversation that they've been holding internally. And now they're in a space where the facilitator is centering their voice and their care. Mm-hmm. And they aren't having to defend or protect themselves in the space. So that part has felt really good. Um, I mean, from a standpoint of like the same workshop I'm teaching now is the workshop I started offering to studios and spaces in 2016. Mm-hmm. And for perspective, I, I had a child born in that year and they're in the first grade. So it's been years of it what can feel frustrating and that you know I work to release all the time is the way that now it's become trendy and people are offering this work all willy-nilly and watering it down for Mm. lack of a better term trying to make it super comfortable so that white people will engage it which feels confusing for me because Equity isn't going to be about anybody's comfort, but, Mm. you know, it's just that part feels frustrating. Additionally, what feels frustrating is um, when I started doing this work, I identified as a straight person and a lot of the people that I initially worked with were straight people. And while people are ready to have conversations about race, they're not ready to have conversations about queerness and aren't putting forward the folks who really have been leading these actions longer, which is other queer people. Yeah. And so that part feels, you know, it's like people will talk about equity, equity, equity or whatever. And then when they celebrate families, like like parenting stuff, I used to be deep in parenting communities. So I'm guilty of this also. So I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just talking about what happens there parenting, 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 and liberated parenting, and conscious parenting, and also we're only going to show cis families. Yep. Or straight people who had children, and even though my children produced in a heteronormative relationship, 
um, not a straight person and I wasn't at that point. And I, you know, I have my own feelings to work through around not being clear about that, and whatever. But also like, it doesn't feel good to not see yourself reflected in spaces, especially spaces that say they're for equity. And it's like, yeah. but you're not, but you're not. You just want proximity to power. And so I think, you know, all of us need to be considering that of like, am I doing this really in the service of greater good? Or is this about a closer proximity to power? I'm saying that to say, even in teaching this race equity, it has very much felt like, <sighs> so you wanna know, you're gonna decide whether or not to take this workshop based on whether or not it has CEUs, continuing education units. Are we gonna talk about how problematic the governing body is? You know what I'm saying? Yep. Are we gonna talk about that? I don't know that from the outside. You know what I'm saying? And so are you taking this because you wanna learn and unlearn and be different? Or is this get you closer to proximity to power? Because now you can tell black folks, queer folks, fat folks, people even beyond their fifth or sixth decade that, oh, like I'm equity teacher. You know, I I I took this equity workshop and you know, I tell people all the time, I am not an endorsement. I'm not a check mark. I'm I'm none of those things. I'm a space holder and I tend to hold a space for you to do some deep self-study but that's not something that can be performed for social media this is really going to be in how you're living so yeah mm. I don't feel super helpful I guess is what I'm saying but also I don't my hope isn't lost around it I wouldn't be still doing it if my hope was lost around it I'm just unattached in this moment to what mm. that looks like in my lifetime. I don't expect to see it in my lifetime. That's what I try to tell other people, like you thought, cause a lot of people felt like, oh, we spent 2020, we did this hard work, everything is gonna be different. <laughs> Only for 2021 to happen and it'd be exactly the same. Like y'all opened your studios, you're doing exactly the same things. Like someone sent me an invite to something and like, it's a very important conversation. You want me to pay you $35 to be there? No, I'm okay. I'm okay on that. Not because I don't feel like they deserve to generate resources for themselves, but it's like, this is a conversation for and about Black people. Black people should not be paying. If this is a conversation for and about queer folks, trans folks, non-binary folks, they shouldn't be paying. You know what I mean? We Like, what? So all that to say, I don't know what's going to happen in yoga world. I know it's going to be different than what people imagine, but I think yoga world has been through a big um, crash and burn, honestly. Mm. Honestly. Which is interesting to navigate because I teach in a lot of teacher trainings. And yeah. It's like... It's great that you're taking this training. What are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. If your goal is to open, run, or be in a studio, you might need to make new plans for yourself. This is not going to be a reality in the long run, but that's not popular to say to teachers. 
Carly. No, it's not. I feel like I'm the one I'm, I am childless by choice. I am one of those people. And, um, I feel like I'm constantly looking to friends who are thinking about having another kid. And I'm like, but what about climate change? Like, what about the world you're bringing this kid into? And they're just like, I don't want to hear it. Tristan is how I feel. And I'm like, okay, I'll be over here. I'll keep these thoughts to myself. I guess. It's one of those things where it's like, um, the the issues of climate change are not going to be it's now now right now is when you are experiencing it right now and I feel like humans particularly humans raised within this westernized American culture or who aspire to this westernized American culture are good at sticking their heads in the sand like uh, I don't know if you saw the latest press conference from the World Health Organization which I don't hold any organization above harm or wrongdoing so I'm not saying that they're perfect but I did appreciate that basically they've been saying for the last three months if you want the pandemic to end you'll need to end racism the, the pandemic is a result of racism Maybe not the thing itself, the like actual virus, but the way that it has happened is a result of racism. And similarly to systems of oppression, it's harming all of us, mm-hmm. but it's just on display right now. Mm-hmm. And so like, what are we going to do about it? And similarly to you, I feel like some people are like, don't be exactly how it works before because that's what we know and it's comfortable. It's like, um, no no that's not what's about to happen so yeah I I feel a lot of joy currently in my life and also there's a lot of trepidation for me and people I know around like I I was just on a a meeting for parents of a school community that my children used to belong to when we were primarily in North Carolina and one of the parents was saying that their three-year-old said to them, why'd you make me if you knew the world was running out of water? And the parent was like, what do I say to my kid? Mm. That I wasn't thinking about it, that I thought humans would get it together, that they might still can. I don't have a lot of faith in the humans. We like our comforts more than we like the truth. So I don't know, Tristan, don't let me go down that rabbit hole. Wow. No, I mean, but okay. I, <laughs> I think that, I think that, um, I think that the practice of yoga is a very beneficial tool in the quest towards liberation. And I think that we need to be thinking expansively about how to use the tools of the practice to push towards liberation and not how to monetize them or make more money or become famous. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's possible. I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, and when, when I hear you say that, then I feel access to hope. Um, but I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that leads me to reimagining everything, which is a new, Mm um, I don't want to call it a new component of your work. (laughs) Um, but tell me about it. Component of my work. Um, So I've spent a lot of time talking with people about what's wrong and equally as much time trying to help people think about new solutions. And 
not through my own thought, but through reading and listening to other teachers and sharing space with other facilitators and space holders. Like, well, part of the problem is not that there aren't infinite solutions, it's that our imaginations are so dampened by the systems we live in, right? Like Adrienne Marie Brown talks about this a lot in Emergent Strategy. And so how do we activate that part of ourselves? And not just around humongous things like climate change or equity and race and yoga spaces, but like, how could you expand your imagination just about yourself, about who you are, what it is you like, what is possible for you? And I decided to make an offering that it feels a little disorienting to offer it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know what'll happen during those times because different people come with different things to the space. And, you know, I offer it um, monthly through my Patreon and then it's open for other people to join that aren't on Patreon with me, but we focus on different things. And, you know, at first, you know, we were kind of light. We, we talked about reimagining joy and we've talked about rest and we've talked about love and then also my dad died in the fall of last year and so that we that month we talked about grief because I need to reimagine grieving a person that I hadn't really even thought about what it would mean when they would die and um I don't want to say fortunately but it resonated through the entire community because everybody's grieving something particularly after the last two years we've had and um it's just a space for us to move together and to think about some things, but also to feel our feelings. And we share answers and questions and people cry and we laugh and we all be given a thumbs up because we all have experienced the same thing. But it's really a time for us to examine the stories that we're holding, like for instance, uh, around grief like what it means to grieve, what you were taught about grieving, how it was modeled for you, how you feel when you have to navigate your grief or other people's grief. And then we spend the last bit of it imagining what it would be like to be fully in it, to imagine what we would need, what it would look like, what it would feel like. And the question I always leave folks with is like, how can you start to center what you've written about, what you've imagined for yourself in the present moment? And, you know, our metaphysical community has made complete mockery and just damaged some of the things that feel very true to me, even in navigating the system of like, I'm creating for myself in every moment. I don't control outside circumstances. And also I do have a direct impact on how I navigate this experience. And grief is unavoidable, but grief also makes you tired. So I imagine anytime I'm grieving that I have space to rest and I make that fucking space for myself. I tell the people around me that I need space to do it. And the magical thing is people understand and they make the space and it encourages them to take the space. It's, I was sharing with you before we started recording, I took the last six weeks off of 2020, whatever this year was, it just turned 2021. <laughs> 2021 I took the last six weeks off and I'd never been off for six weeks like that before ever 
I've had times where I'm like on bed rest, but I still work. You know what I'm saying? That's what yep. laptops are for. Or yep. that's what my previous self thought. <laughs> that's what my previous self thought. You got a baby? That's fine. Check your email. Um, but you just had major surgery. That's cool. See who emailed you. Um, but I literally didn't check my email. I initially said I would check it on Mondays, but when the first Monday came, I was like, this is whack. This is really ruining my vacation. So I stopped. <laughs> um, but what was interesting is like people were emailing me. Some people knew I was off, some people didn't. People were emailing me and I was seeing their emails. I just wasn't reading them or I just wasn't responding. And I did last week. And um, more than half of the people that I owed a response to said like, I was so inspired by the fact that you did that. Or like, that really showed me that I could be off work too. Or I'm taking February off because I saw that you did it. And you know what I mean? And so I'm saying that to say, I think the more that we practice being in our wholeness, the more permission it gives to other people to be in their wholeness too. And realize they don't have to like, I don't know, be on all the time. Mm -hmm. And that offering is really about that, like making space for people to not feel like they have to be on. Like you get to sit with the stories that you're holding about yourself, about how you need to engage work, love, whatever and to me this unlocks infinite potential for thinking about new possibilities mm. so I'm just trying to do that in all around all things you know yeah I in the time that I've known you I've seen you um leave work because it's either like gigs I mean um that aren't mm -hmm. nourishing or don't pay you enough money um, mm -hmm. I've seen you say, I'm not on emails on these days, or I'm only working these days. Like I've seen you make like move after move after move to like clear out the garbage and the clutter and, and really care for yourself and your family. And I mean, it is, it is inspiring, um, for me personally. And I feel like I do need people to model that for me and remind me like everywhere, because I'm constantly getting the other messages that tell me no, no, this many Zoom meetings is totally fine. Like four is right. nothing, right? And it's like, no, right. my nervous system doesn't like four. Um, right. How do I, I mean, tell me Kelly what it's like. And maybe, you know, maybe you have, um, because of your identities and your lived experience, your no might have be a different experience than me finding my no. But I mm -hmm. wonder if you could talk about saying no to people and, and setting a boundary and what that experience is like for you. So I have a lot of gratitude to Amber Carnes. We're friends. We work together a lot, but Amber really is my friend. Um, probably like my first white friend, honestly. Wow. Um, I grew up around a lot of white kids, but they weren't my friends. And um, she's not my only white friend, but like, I just, I trust Amber a lot. And so about three and a half years ago, I needed to be in a safe location for a few nights. So I went to Amber's house. She lived in Virginia at the time. And I lived in North Carolina. And she invited me and my kids there. And so we went and we stayed for two or three days. And 
we did things that we like to do that weren't work related. We had a work project that we were working on, but we went and shot for plants and we made a bonfire and Amber cooked a lot of delicious food for me. Amber's an amazing cook, y'all. And Amber said to me that you need to remember that when you're saying no to one thing, you're saying yes to something else. And so I actually don't look at it as me saying no ever. Mm. I'm never saying no to people. I just simply assert what I want to say yes to. And that might be time off. It might be time with my family. It might be spaciousness to grieve. It might be a project that's more important. I mean, at the end of the day, if I could subsist just on running mutual aid for sanctuary in the city, that's what I would do. It's just that I can't. The money that I could make from that, we put towards the mutual aid. So I can't make a living off of it, right? But oftentimes when I'm saying no to other things, it's because I don't have the time to answer 53 million emails about workshops when there's 53 million emails about people who need medication or their rent paid or daycare or a cell phone to escape their abuse or like there's a priority for me this is someone's lived experience like in an immediate right and so I just try to remember that that like this might feel like a no to them right but it's a yes to me. And honestly, when I was a hairstylist in my early days of hairstyling, probably first six years, I was a hairstylist, seven years. I worked every day. I worked all the time. If it was within a reasonable amount of time, and I mean before midnight and after 6 a.m., I would take a client. You know what I'm saying? And I recognized very soon after becoming a parent the first time, I can't work this way. So I have to work less. And, you know, people understood. I had a kid. They understand. Now I can't work these particular times. And for a long time, I used my children in that way. Like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I can't do it because I don't have child care or whatever. And that's a whole nother story about the burdens of child parenting on female identified people versus yeah. male identified people. But yeah. um, at a certain point, really, you know, since I've been in the relationship I'm in now, of them reminding me, like, you just progressed. Like, you can't do all of these things. And, you know, early in the pandemic, we both were working full time. I had multiple jobs, plus private coaching, teaching, all these consultant things, all these social media accounts that I was managing. I was managing like 10 accounts and I had an assistant and my partner was working full time and we're navigating the pandemic at the very beginning, you know what I mean? Plus homeschooling two people a kindergartner and a first grader they're preschooler and and first grader and it was too much it was way too much and so I had to say no to some things I really cared about to say yes to some things I cared about a little bit more Mm. and that's just how I hold it like I only work Tuesday through Thursday. I'm sure people want me to lead workshops on the weekend all the time, and I will sometimes. But these are usually people who ask me a year or two in advance. You know what I'm saying? I'm just not going to hold a workshop on the weekend because it's more convenient to a studio. It's less convenient for me. It takes me away from the reason why I'm even leading the workshop. I'm leading the workshop so I can buy vegetables 
to make food so I can sit around and eat it with my family while we watch documentaries and play Uno. Like that's, that's the point of it all. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, I don't know if that's helpful to people. I think part of it is that it's scary to lean out of what dominant culture asks you to do. And part of who I am as a person and how I was raised is that most things I'm going to have to do them scared and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work out all the time, but most of the time it does. And it just leads me to a greater place of like, oh, I'm not going to work on Tuesdays. I'm not going to work on Mondays or Fridays. Of like, oh, well, then I'm only going to answer emails on one day a week. It drives people crazy, but oh, well, I'm trying to teach y'all to stop beating y'all emails so much. <laughs> and the only way I can do it is model it for you. Or like, I know it drives people berserk because I don't have an autoresponder. I don't owe anyone an explanation about why I've not answered my email. I'm not a brain surgeon. I answer all mutual aid requests immediately the day of. People who receive mutual aid from us know that. I don't make that wait. But a workshop, you can wait. It's not, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. You can wait till next Tuesday to get a response from me about that. Or, you know what I mean? It's just, I want all of us to stop taking it so seriously. But if the people with power hold it so serious, then those of us trying to just get a little bit of what they got to exist, we're kind of held unless we all just decide together to be on some fuck it. So I'm always looking for more people to be on some fuck it with me if there's people out there that want to. <laughs> I promise I won't title this episode Beyond Some Fuck It. I mean, Kelly. you can. You can. You can if you want to. I mean, I think that we're at the very beginning of the possibilities for some very different realities. But people are going to have to learn how to build their capacity to be with discomfort. And, you know, like, I'm a writer. I've been a writer since I was seven years old. And... You know, sometimes I'm in my writing practice, other times I'm not. Right now I'm in my writing practice. And what I've been writing about a lot is the ways that we build our capacity to be with discomfort because it, just for myself, the way that I wish to exist in the next five years is so different than what I had trained my mind that it should look like in all of the ways. And there's a lot of discomfort I'm already experiencing and I'm at the beginning of it. So I know that it's going to be very uncomfortable. For instance, I'm gonna just say this because maybe there's somebody listening that's gonna help me with this. My family and I have a very deep desire to acquire a hundred plus acres in the state of Vermont to build a home space for ourselves and other black queer folks. I've never lived on a farm before. Mm -hmm. I've never. Well, that's not really true. My grandparents had a farm. I went to it all the time, but it wasn't my full-time residence. I've never lived in Vermont before. I actually like being very close to the equator. I actually joke with people all the time, but I'm very serious in saying that my body, this Black body, being so far from the equator is a long-standing ramification of enslavement that I feel angry about every time I'm cold outside. And I'm supposed to be this far from the equator. And also... The way the climate change is going, I need to move further from the equator to be on land that will be sustainable in 25 to 45 years 
to the people that I'm raising to be able to have food and clean water. And so I'm saying all that to say, I'm trying to build my capacity with discomfort because it's going to be very uncomfortable. It's like I came off Amazon Prime. Do you know how uncomfortable that was? I hate going to the store. I always have, unless it's for clothes. I only like to do clothes shopping in person. Everything else I could do without it. And also Amazon's evil. So I came off of Prime and it hasn't ended me, but it was uncomfortable. And that's such like a minuscule thing, but our capacity, we've got to build our capacity with discomfort because it is coming. And not like, I'm not talking about parables though, or although, you know, yep. I am saying that if things are going to change, particularly those sitting closest to power are going to have to build their ability to be with discomfort. And even those of us who sit far from power in different ways, you know, we're moving back and forward. Yep. Closer in proximity at different times. We are going to have to build our capacity with being uncomfortable too. It's mm-hmm. like the uncomfortable truth that no matter how much education you have, how well you understand Bitcoin, how well you've invested and saved your money, none of it is actually yours and they will take it from you at any time. And they're making sure that you make just enough to stay invested in this. You'll never make it to wherever you think you're going to make it to. It's all a scam. But if people can't learn how to be with that discomfort, then they aren't going to release it. And then classism still exists where there's a spectrum of poor people who are all poor, the spectrum of poor people trying to be and acquire things that it is literally designed for us never to acquire ever, not ever. And it's like, what if all of these millions of people said, let's be on some fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Let's form up committees and communities where we're authentically together, keeping one another safe, growing food, providing education, offering healing spaces, making sure everyone has housing and water. I was on a Zoom call the other day for food access. And I said, I mean, when do we get to the point where we recognize that everyone deserves food and that food shouldn't cost? And the people on the food equity committee call got big eyes. Huh? 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 I said what I said, food shouldn't cost. But they're going to have to get un- be able to deal with that discomfort of like, whether we admit it or not, most of us are holding that I'm valuable when my bank account says a certain thing. Yep. And I'll spend my entire life trying to make sure it always says that or that's always growing and it all means nothing. I haven't even handled money in about six months. Like cash, like I right. haven't even handled it. It's not even real. I understand it has real ramifications yep. if I don't create it, produce it, but I'm really invested in what it looks like for us not to even, but it would take a critical mass, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Of people, anyway. Yeah, Tristan, that's where I'm at after six weeks off from work. <laughs> I'm glad I'm catching you now. It's a good moment. 
Uh-huh. Kelly, will you yeah. will you tell our <laughs> listeners about Manifest as we wrap up? Yeah, 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 I definitely will. So um, Manifest is a book that I released the first time in 2016. I released it on my 36th birthday. Um, it was a collection of mantras or like affirmations that I would share during the weekly yoga classes that I was teaching at my community. Um, and I would write like a little something to go with it that I would read after Shavasana. And it started out with people asking like, can you send it or will you post it on social so we can have it to read? And I would, and you know, I would do a great yoga pose and post a picture of me with whatever it said. And then I was traveling and ran into someone who had been taking my classes, but had moved away. And they were like, sometimes I just wish I had them in a book. Mm. And me being the Capricorn I am, I was like, hold my beer. <laughs> so I, well, not my beer, hold my water. So then I, um, I put them into a book and um, it was great. I think I said like, I want to sell 500 of these. And I sold way more copies than that since 2016. But then, you know. I'm growing and expanding as a person. And some of the things that I wrote there, not that I didn't feel they were, weren't true. They just didn't, they weren't tender with the nuance of our existence in a way that felt true to me anymore. Mm. And so I revisited the book. And in the meantime, I released Manifest. And then like maybe a year or two later, I did a retreat to Yogaville and the retreat was around the book and I made a workbook for my participants to have while we were on the retreat. And I had my mom, my first editor, my mother read through it for typos before I bound it for my participants. And she was like, you know, you really should just publish this too as a, like a companion book. So for a long time, there were two books. All that to say last year, um, I decided to revisit it. I worked on it for much longer than it actually needed, but I just was in the middle of a lot of transition last year. And I set it to come out on August 1st. My dad died that day. The book still came out that day, but it's out in the world now. And it's a combination of mantra or intentional like phrases for you to use and readings and then self-study questions that are connected to those. Um, Yeah, I sometimes feel guilty because I haven't really put the like same amount of effort Mm. in this promotion of this like new release as I did the original um and also you know a lot of the things that I had planned to do or wanted to do around it I just didn't have the capacity to do with my dad's passing at that same time and you know as I have a lot of feelings about my dad passing and also I appreciate that the timing was what it was because it allowed me to just like release it and it's done what it needs to do in the world. It's doing what it needs yeah. to do in the world. Well, we yeah. will we will link to it for our listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is there anything else you want to share? Anything else you want to just say as we finish um, up the conversation? I just want to remind people that joy is available to them in every moment that we live in a society and um, experiment that is trying to separate us from our joy all the time. And particularly for Black people, for queer folks, trans folks, fat folks, like people who are continually set on the outside of being seen as valuable or cared for by dominant culture, not by our own people, because our own people, we we see each other and take care of each other. But 
for us, knowing that our joy is going to be impacted, but it is still ours. And if it feels hard to center it, think about your senses and like be in control of what you're smelling, be in control of what you're eating, be in control of what you're drinking, be in control of where you rest and how you rest and when you rest um, in a way that nourishes you. And I found for myself that when I just like make joy a small thing like flowers, I really love flowers. Most people don't know that about me, but I love flowers. So I buy myself flowers. They don't cost a lot of money. They don't change anything about this terrible world that we're existing. And still I smile when I walk in the kitchen and I see them. And so it's like that small act leads to many more acts where it's very easy for me to say, I don't work on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. And I'm only working from 12 to 4 on Tuesday and Wednesday because joy takes up a lot of freaking space at my house yeah Thank yeah you. that's the main things and i would love if folks to visit patreon and join me over there um, my tears start at three dollars and if folks if it's sustainable for folks to give back to the sanctuary in the city we're always taking donations towards our mutual aid we'll make sure to link to those those platforms too yeah Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you, Tristan. I appreciate this. Likewise. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F i-n podcast.com and on instagram at all t-f-i-n podcast or at tristan katz creative or and at lauren k roberts